One of the things that's been striking me as I've read through the Gospels recently is how oftentimes the disciples felt really clueless, right? Like they're walking around with Jesus and they're following him, and they have this uh, kind of clueless, clueless posture going on, uh, is how I read it. And uh, anyone seen the movie Risen? Categories. The cheese ball category and the heresy category. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe not, so it's, it's usually heavy in one or the other. Maybe it's a rare movie that grabs both of them and kicks it, kicks it out in spades. But it's like, if it's done by Hollywood, it's high heresy, lower cheese ball. If it's done by, like, you know, whatever. You guys get where I'm going. <laughs> this movie, this movie is, is worth watching. So I'm not going to hype it up and say, oh, it's amazing, you'll change your life. It's not that, but, but it is, it's cool. I'll say it's low, low on the cheese factor and, and pretty close to zero on the heresy factor, so... It's got that going for it. Check it out. We were watching it last night, and one of the things that struck me in their portrayal of the disciples, which had to be true, was how clueless they were walking around with Jesus. We forget that they were only walking around with the dude for three years, but at the beginning, they didn't know what was coming up next. You know, think about the death of Jesus. Like, you're following this guy around for three years. He ascends up there, and he's like, all of a sudden, he's gone. He's taught you all these lessons, but you're super confused, and you don't really know what to do. He gives you something cryptic, like, go hang out in Galilee until I come back. And then he goes, go hang out in the upper room until the Spirit comes. He gives those kinds of directions where you're like, I don't know what to do with that, right? Like, they're like, okay. Like, think about the 40 days where they're hanging out in the upper room between the ascension and when, he, when the Spirit of God came in power in Acts. 40 days of hanging out, it's like, want to sing another worship song? Like, what, what, what do we do? Do we pray some more or get some food? Or, you know, like, there, you got to feel the realness of what, what, what this must have felt like. And oftentimes, I feel like that in my own life, too, right? Like, the, the, the walk with God is kind of one where the, the perfect roadmap is not there. You know, like, it, it's, it's, it feels ambiguous at best sometimes. Kind of like, okay, I, I think I'm supposed to do this, and so I, I guess I'll go do that. Like, I'm not getting any direction here, so maybe I'll just, like, cruise over here and trust that the right direction will come at the right time. You know, and, and I think that's okay. And so a lot of the Christian life that I live is kind of experimental. You know, not in the huge stuff, right? Like, I have cornerstone theology to keep me safe, but in the other stuff, I'm kind of like, okay, like, let's try something out and see how it goes. So here's one of those. So I was listening to a sermon, and this guy was talking about how there was this one time in his life where uh, God was speaking to him by putting pennies everywhere. Okay, so like, he goes into his closet, and he reaches into an old pair of shoes, and there's like three pennies—there's a penny in the, in the toe of the shoe, and he's like, what is this? And then he's like walking to work, and he like puts his hand in his pocket. He's like, I don't remember having a penny in my pocket. And like, he's walking down the street, and there's like a penny, and then he walks some more, and there's like a penny, and he's like, after a while of all these like single pennies sitting around, he's like, what in the world? Like, God, are you trying to tell me something? Because this is just weird. And, uh, and he prayed about it for a while, and he felt like God was speaking to him like, I want your devotion in the one thing. Like, pennies mean, like, one, I want your devotion in the one thing. I want you to return back to your first love. And I remember hearing this, and I was kind of like, this is the, um, the skeptical side of me, right? I'm like, come on, you know? Like, that feels like kind of a big stretch. Like, you know, there's actually psychology that shows that, like, you kind of reinforce the things that you're looking for. You know, like, you buy the car, and then you notice it's everywhere on the road, like, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, 
confession moment. I'm watching, I'm like listening to this story, and I'm like, you know, come on. Like, is this the type of stuff that God does? So I hear it, and whatever, kind of go by. About a month later, I started to get this thing inside of me that's like, I want to experience God in wacky and crazy and weird outside-the-box ways. And I wonder if part of me not is my, the, the cap on my thinking. Like, so experiment. Let's try it out. And so I started praying. Like, God, will you speak to me in kind of like wacky, weird, out-of-the-box ways? <laughs> so you guys know where this is going. So after like a month of just kind of praying this on and off, it wasn't like I was, you know, this isn't the type of prayer that you like fast over and pray every day and like, you know, this is the only thing, God. It's kind of one of those where you're like, yeah, that would be cool. You know, like that would be cool if, if stuff like that happened. And, uh, and I remember in that month, I'll tell you a quick other one. This guy had been given this prize knife. He had this knife that he carried around everywhere with him and it was given to him by someone super special and he had lost it. And he, he, he was telling this story in this message, and he's like, I was praying for it one day, and I was just saying, God, I want my knife back. And it falls out of thin air on the bed in front of him while he's praying and lands on the bed. And so, like probably many of you, I was thinking to myself, no way. <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, why would God bother himself on his throne and come over and, like, chuck a knife down in this guy's <laughs> hotel room, right? <laughs> and so... I started hearing these stories and it started to stir something in me more. I'm like, if this is real, like, I want this stuff, you know? Like, I don't want to block my thinking just because, like, I put you over here in, in this category of what you will do and what you won't do. And so, I kid you not, I'm in the shower in Reading. I'm up, I'm up, I was going to Bethel at the time, and I'm in the shower in Reading, and I'm washing my hair with my eyes closed, like, scrubbing my hair, and I hear this ping, ping, ping. And I look down, and there's a nickel sitting at my feet. And I pull the curtain back, and there's like, there's obviously nobody there. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on right now? Super weird story. And so I like bend down, I like pick up the nickel. I'm like, what the heck? I felt like the disciples, right? Like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this nickel? Is this like an anointed nickel? Or like, why do you want me to have this, God? And so I kind of like took it and I started praying through it. And it was like, God spoke to me through it. It was nothing like super profound. There's no end to this story where it was like it glowed that day and, you know, <laughs> turned into a hundred dollar bill or whatever it is. It was just, I kind of feel like because there was nothing profound on the other side of it, I prayed into it and I felt like five is usually the number of grace in the Bible. And so God was speaking to me about grace in that season. But really what it did more than anything was say to me like, you have no idea how much you're limiting me because of this thing where it's like, oh yeah, I'll accept you in this way, but I won't accept you in this way. Like, I hear people say that stuff like this happens, and that just is like a little bit too outside my comfort zone. And so I either just outright deny it or just go like, uh, I'll stay over here in, in this, in this kind of area over here. Anyone can relate to that? Anyone weirded out by the nickel thing? Yeah, I even looked on the ceiling. I was like, was it stuck on there, like on the paint and it fell off? There was no markings. I was like really trying to, you know, get detective. So it's going to relate to our story here. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 10 and let's continue on in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is talking to um, the disciples about their, their new mission and going out in his name. So he sends out the 12 in his name. 
and he commissions them to do what he's been doing, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the good news, to release those in bondage, demonic and otherwise. And so he sends them out to preach this good news, and as he does, he says, when you go, I'm sending you out like wolves, like, like sheep among wolves. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Like, you can go, and there's going to be people ready to devour you. And then he goes on and adds some things to it, like, hey, you could get thrown in prison, and when they flog you, just like beating you with a leather band, when they do that, don't worry. Like, I'll teach you what to say to them. You know, I'm like, that's not what I'm worried about when it's related to flogging, but thank you. Um, And so this is the part right after that, okay? So it says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet or as a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. If any one of you gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. And so this is how Jesus ends this section of the text. He starts talking about kind of strange stuff, like what does it mean that if you welcome a prophet as a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward? What does it mean that you welcome a righteous person as a righteous person, you receive a righteous person's reward? It's kind of confusing. Like, it's not, to me, perfectly obvious as you come across the text. Um, and so let's dig into a little bit, and then we'll extract some principles that I think will, will bless us and keep us growing in the Lord. So when you think about a prophet's reward, what do you think about? Like, what's a prophet's reward? I could think of it in a few different buckets. One, I could see the eternal reward side of it, right? Like, I get the sense that as a prophet goes around prophesying, obeying what God's telling him to do, him or her to do, and bringing that word to people, there's probably an eternal reward where God goes, you've been faithful, now here's your eternal reward. But there's also a, a, a reward here, here and now. I, I, for one, would love the gift of prophecy, Right? The idea of prophecy is that you hear the voice of the Lord, and then you speak it out to people. That's it. It sounds pretty kind of like cryptic and sometimes weird. Uh, From the church background that I came from, there weren't any such things as prophets. There was really only evangelists and pastors and teachers. Uh, The apostle and the prophet left somewhere in the last 2,000 years. Um, But like the idea of the prophet in very basic terms— is it somebody who can hear the word of the Lord and then release it out to a group of people, right? And so if you think about uh, the reward of the prophet, I think there's all of that mixed up in there, right? And so then let's think about the receiving a prophet type, type, the side of things. What does it look like to receive a prophet? First of all, I would say it's honoring what the prophet is bringing, Right? So I would start there because this is somebody who's uh, an ambassador for God, if you will, speaking on behalf of God, and they come into your midst, and what it would look like is they come and they say, hey, I'm a prophet, and you go, yeah, I don't really care. Can you sit over there, like, in that third row and just be quiet? Right? Like, that would not be receiving a prophet. I'm kind of not interested in what you bring. I'm kind of not interested in who you claim to be. Like, just sit over there and park it. 
right? The reverse side of that, of course, would be like, holy smokes, a prophet is in our midst. That's awesome. Like, I want to hear everything that this person has to say. Come, will you come into our midst? Will you sit in the front row? Will you sit up front? Will you, will you speak for 20 minutes? Will you tell us what the Lord's saying to us? Like, what has he said to you over the last 10 years? Like, you're having lunch with them, and you're like, okay, so what does it feel like to have God speak to you? Like, what does that sound like? How do you know if it's the Lord? Like, how do you filter stuff out? Like, what does that look like? Right? Like, there's this, this hunger and this value for the thing that the person's bringing that would be very apparent by the way that you receive them or not receive them. And when we read about this, further up in the text, Jesus talks about this. He says, when I send you into the town, speaking of the disciples, when I send you into the town to bring my word, to bring my good news, to bring my healing, to do all that stuff, the one who receives you, stay with them. The one who doesn't receive you, leave. They're not worthy of the message that you carry. Knock the dust off your feet and go. And so you see right there how this actual principle pays out. <laughs> plays out. I've been doing that more. Have you noticed that? Like, sorry. Principle plays out is like the disciples go in. They're carrying this treasure. They have the good news of the Messiah who's come that everybody's been waiting for. They carry this. And they go into the town, and the ones that receive them receive the good news. They get them to stay in their house. They, they leave peace on that house. But the ones who go like, oh, I know those guys. Those are the, the fishermen. Like, they're not even educated. Like, why would I honor those 12? That's ridiculous. And they follow that guy who was like born of the, the woman who clearly had a baby before they were even like, you know, had been married. It's kind of scandalous stuff. Like, you see how this could deteriorate really quickly. And so you can see how the reward of that individual, what they carry, is incredibly valuable, but that's blocked by if there's a, a reception of them or not. And so we see this very tangibly play out. If you receive the prophet in the name of the prophet, you receive the prophet's reward. And so to me, it immediately begs the question, like, what are the reasons why you wouldn't receive a prophet? That sounds crazy, right? Like, this person's coming in the name of the Lord and coming with his message. Like, I want to hear that. I'm, like, dying to hear the voice of God. And so then I think you back out and you say, well, what were prophets like in the Old Testament? Like, as Jesus said this, what conjures up in your mind about what a prophet was like? Well, immediately preceding him was the prophet John the Baptist. This dude was weird. Like, really weird. He wore clothes of camel's fur with a leather belt, and he ate locusts and honey and hung out in the desert. Like, let's just make this super real for us today. I don't translate that. I don't even know what that translates like into today, right? We'll just not even translate it. There's a dude over there in People's Park with a camel fur and a leather belt eating locusts and honey as his diet. And like, can you see where there'd be some stumbling blocks to receiving this guy as a prophet? But then you back that out and you say, how about Jesus himself? Jesus didn't come as a rich man in a palace. He didn't come born to the most powerful men in all of Israel, even. He didn't come born to one of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, right? He came born to a couple paupers. Like his stepdad was... Uh, was a carpenter, I think, 
I'm not sure. I, I, where do you read that in the Bible, by the way? Does anybody know where that? I, I keep trying to find that, but it's like maybe it's just tradition. But it's like <laughs> it's probably in there. It's, it's too embedded. But like a carpenter, like in in some podunk town, right? Like they even see like nothing come, nothing good comes from the town where he came from. Right? Like, and you gotta back out and you gotta say like, why would God do this? Why would God send the Messiah as some dude who looks like some normal guy? The Bible even in one part says that he had like nothing physical attractive about him. There was nothing on the outside that would make him physically attractive. Like at least throw him a bone, right? Like make him good looking. It's like, okay, you can be poor, but you'll be good looking and then people will receive you. It's like, it's like, why, why is the delivery mechanism that God chooses for his most important messages seem to be easy to stumble over. Let's put it that way. We'll talk about the why, but I think actually more important is just the comment that he does. I think it's huge for us to just understand that as a starting point. Some of the most important lessons that you will learn in your life from the voice of the Lord directly to you will come in a package where it might be hard for you to receive it. So I think just starting there and having us go like, that's really important for me to know. God has shown himself consistently throughout history to be the type of person that's going to deliver to me a message that will have the keys of life locked in it, but it's going to come in a package that has the potential to stumble me up. That is so important to know right out of the gates. I remember um, my grandmother walked with the Lord for a long time, a very long time. But she, she went to, so this is going to be, you're going to see some of my own bias, right? Um, she went to the Episcopal Church. And when I went to the Episcopal Church when I was growing up, I did not see a lot of life and joy and revelation and people with really zealous walks for God that felt like they were going for it. And so when I first encountered the Lord and when I looked back on my history of growing up in the church, I looked at that and I was like, no good. Not interested in that type of, of Christianity. It's wrought with religion, meaning the illusion of power but actually it's the illusion of power. Comes in the name of God, but it's kind of empty and hollow. And I'm just uninterested in that. And so then when I was sitting with my grandmother, not only was she kind of sl slowing down in her thinking, I had these biases about her past, and then her thinking starts to get slowed, and then, and then she kind of would start repeating herself in terms of the stuff she would tell me. Every time we'd sit down, she'd be like, I remember... When I graduated from Stanford, cum laude. It was great. Yeah. You know, like, and then she'd go on. It's like, she's not even talking anything closely related to that, but somehow it would get littered in the story. And I'd be like, come on, Grandma. Like, stop teeing yourself up and patting yourself on the back, right? Like, all of these things, it's my grandmother, right? So, like, I know her. I know she's slowing down mentally. I know that she's, like, trying to find some identity stuff in the Stanford cum laude thing. I know she went to this Episcopal church. And so when I was talking to her before I met Suki, 
I rarely asked her about her 60 years of walking with Jesus. Right? 60 years of walking with Jesus. And I had never once sat down with her and said, what have you learned? What has this looked like for you? What are the most important lessons that have blessed your life? Like, who have you seen God to be in your life? Right? Like, the hunger and the honor that shows that I'm receiving a righteous woman in the name of a righteous woman and desiring the reward that she so clearly carries. And so then, by the way, full white American cultural bias, right? Like that I did not know uh, in terms of kind of rejecting the elderly and, and kind of pushing them to the, to the margins. So then Suki comes into my house and she comes and she sits down with my grandmother and she exudes so much honor to my grandmother. And she sits down and she's like talking to my grandmother and she's just like, like, tell, like exactly what I was just saying. Like, tell me, like, what was, what's it been like and all this stuff? And she goes, I remember. <laughs> this is where she floored us. I remember in 1975 when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I did not expect that at all, right? Like, what happened to the, like, stodgy, old, crusty religion thing? You're like, and she goes on to tell this story where she somehow, like, got a, a, a friend of a friend, went to this charismatic Catholic church, and she walks in, and she gets, ended up getting laid out under the Spirit, and, like, having this, like, profound encounter with God. And this had been sitting in my grandmother for decades. And that reward of that story and that testimony of my lineage and what it meant, and like she started telling these stories about how her, I think it was her grandmother, would pass Bibles out as a, 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 out of the back of a Conestoga wagon as an evangelist. Like just all of this awesome spiritual inheritance where I'm like, oh my gosh, this was laying dormant in here. And because of Suki's honor, for my grandmother and her decades of walking with the Lord, it was unlocked. And you know, the idea of inheritance, spiritual inheritance, idea of inheritance in general is what? Like, if I got half a million dollars from my father as an inheritance, what would that be? Something that he worked for and worked really hard to gain was then given to me for free. Right? I got half a million bucks, I didn't do anything for it. It was all him. He worked really hard for it, right? The same thing happened with this spiritual experience. Like my grandmother was sitting there telling stories about who Jesus was to her, and I could feel it as she was sharing it, and as I started to open my heart to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this like wealth of inheritance, spiritual inheritance that's sitting with my grandmother that was just like locked up, and I couldn't access it because I had no honor for her. All of these biases, all of these things ended up getting in the way because because I'm messed up too. Because I have stuff going on in me, right? And so the question that I'd ask ourselves, us, is where are the areas that we need to be careful of? Where are the areas where we probably have bias, where it's like, in some churches, if you speak in tongues, you're thrown out of the church. In other churches, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not allowed at the pulpit. And it's like, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Like, you see something, and that thing eclipses the gift of God 
or the person of God under it to such an extent that you can no longer receive that person. And because you can no longer receive that person, you don't get any benefit from them. One of the things that's been crazy for Suki and I as we've pastored, um, there's this really strange thing that happens as we meet with people. I almost don't want to tell the secret because I think it's kind of a kingdom thing. But there's this thing that happens where both of us can feel the amount of honor that we have with the person. Some of it comes through tangibly like, hey, tell me everything that you know about God, right? Like that clearly is like, like, hey, I'm going through this thing. I need your counsel on this. And then you give the counsel and then the person puts it right into practice. Like that just shows a ton of honor, right? Like there's very much outward signs of whether there's honor. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't feel like that in the conversation, but you just feel, what, what Suki and I can feel is this pull. There's this thing that happens spiritually and supernaturally where if somebody honors us, we can feel it and we're sharp. We have revelation. We can hear from the Lord for that person. We can prophesy over them. We can give them direction. We can tell them the mysteries of God. It's so weird. And then other times, you'll sit down with somebody and it'll be like, well, you know, like my friend told me to have this meeting and so I'm kind of just sitting here and like, you know, there's not a ton of like interesting questions and there's not like a strong pull and it's just like, honestly, I, I just don't have that much. I really don't. Like for those of you guys who, who, who've been in ministry and meet one-on-one -on -one with people, you'll know what I'm talking about here. It's a, th it's a thing. It is totally a thing. And I think it's the Lord. I think it's the Lord. I think it's the same reason that Jesus came as just a kind of, you know, like a normal guy and got a bunch of normal people and sent them out with the mysteries of all of heaven, I think is the reason why these other things play out. And I think it's, I think in a nutshell, the reason behind it is this. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. I think that's what it is. I think God resists the proud, and I think he gives grace to the humble. And so, when somebody's walking in humility, there's not a huge high bar for how amazing somebody needs to be in order to believe that you can get some value out of that person. So the question for us is, how high is the bar need to be in order for us to get value out of somebody? I, rem I remember when I, when I first started, like, getting super serious about the Lord, there was all these great people around me that, like, wanted to mentor me. And I kind of was, like, nervous to accept mentorship from somebody because then what if, like, the really anointed person came along? And then I'd be like, dang it, like, shoot, like, they're my mentor. Do you— is it okay to fire a mentor to like, you know? <laughs> it's real, right? Like, who doesn't want to be mentored by the most anointed person in the galaxy? Like, of course. But like, we, we need to realize that those types of propensities will kill us over time. There's this passage in Hebrews that I want to read quickly. 
It says uh, in Hebrews 13 verse 2, it says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. So we've got, like, the character in the story, in this case, is the, the, one of them is the stranger, right? Doesn't say anything about the stranger, but you get the sense that it's kind of just a stranger, right? Like, it's just a stranger. It's profound. And then you get the person who's welcoming and honoring and showing hospitality to the stranger. So this is to me, what this represents is an extremely low bar. How great does somebody need to be in order for me to show hospitality to that person? Right? And in this case, it seems like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my interpretation here, it seems like the fact that every person is created in the image and the likeness of God is enough for this person. To actually not need to see the crazy gift or the money or the good looks, or the power, or whatever it is, and go, oh, I'll welcome that person. It's like, I see the image of God in everybody, and so even for the stranger, I can go, wow, you deserve honor. You deserve hospitality. You deserve welcoming. God loves you. And if God loves you, that means that there's real value there. But that's enough. That's enough, right? Like, no fancy clothes. Maybe, maybe it's like homeless on the street. Nothing really apparent to offer you. But in this one, it's like the people who do that, they entertained angels without even realizing it. They got the privilege of being hospitable to a supernatural being sent from the throne room of God purely because their bar for honor and their bar to receive someone in hospitality was so low that it had nothing to do with the outward signs of value but then within this meager package comes an angelic being right in the meager package of my grandmother that on the outside, there's plenty of reasons to say there's probably not a ton of value on the inside there. I'm being honest, sorry. It's a little blunt. But there's reasons to get stumbled there. Comes this tremendous value. Why is it that some of the most anointed people in the body of Christ are the some that are like the weirdest? Can we be honest? Like some of, I'm kind of like, I think I'm going the goatee just to get a little weirder to see if anointing comes with weirdness. Maybe it's like a one-to-one. -one. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. It's just, just gross and ugly, and I'll get rid of it. But it's like, why is that? Why do you need to be super weird to be super anointed? The answer is, yeah. <laughs> then we're in good shape. Ah, just kidding. But seriously, the answer is clearly no. Right? Like, the answer is clearly no. But does some of the having to look perfect on the outside and having to have everything right before I'll feel like I get anointed possibly get in the way of some normal people operating in some crazy anointings? I think so. I think so. I think there's something there. Right? When you're really good 
at receiving other people and giving honor to other people without the need for this hugely high bar, guess who else you'll do that for? Yourself. You won't need to be the wisest person on the block to feel like you have something to offer to the body of Christ. You won't need to be the highest educated person in the room in order to feel like, wow, if I go up there, God could use me. You don't need to be the best looking person to go into your corporation and be like, I'm going to receive mad favor in this place because God is on my life and he wants to do something in here. And so it goes both ways. It's like, this thing's not only about receiving from other people. This is about faith for like, how buttoned up do you need to be in order for God to use you powerfully and to understand that there's value inside? This goes both ways. So I guess, you know, one of the things that I'll tell you about my desire for this particular house, for us as a community, my desire for us as a community is that we would carry so much humility. We'd carry so much humility that literally we would suck the greatness out of everybody that we come into contact with. It would literally be like we're, I would say spiritual leeches, but then it like, <laughs> leeches kind of deplete the thing that they're sucking from, so let's not do that. That's the cool thing about this, right, is like, when you sit down, and, and like when, when, when I was telling you, like, so this is the opposite of a leech, right? When Suki and I sit down with somebody who has tremendous honor, you end up leaving feeling like the biggest person in the world. It's so awesome. Like, there's no drain to it whatsoever. You end up, like, feeling like you're Superman or woman when you walk away. You're like, I didn't know I had that in me. That was amazing. Right? And so as we do that for one another, it's going to build us up. It's going to edify us as a community. It's going to be like, where I love sitting down with you because I feel huge around you. And when you sit down with me, you feel huge around me. Because there's this, like, mutual exchange of honor where it's like, man, I just know that prophetically, with God's eyes, you see me and you see the best of me. That I don't need to be scared of showing you my weak spots because I know you're not impressed by my weak spots. Your orientation is to actually hunt for the stuff that's of value and lock onto it. This is a huge deal. In Jesus, for Jesus, he goes to his hometown. And the Bible literally says that he didn't do many miracles there because a prophet is not without respect for, except for within his hometown. The most anointed, powerful being to ever walk the earth enters the hometown and it sounds like it kind of shuts down the anointing. That is insane. But my desire for this house is that Jesus wouldn't need to walk into our hometown in order for miracles to be blasting everywhere. We would have such a high honor 
that we would welcome each other in the name of, of what we see, the greatness in each other, in the name of the Lord. If we host outside speakers, it's not that we just receive everything that's like spoken from up here. Like you don't, you pretend like that stuff doesn't exist. And it's like, wow, there's like massive sin in that person's life. And like they're preaching all the time or they're like, you know, leading the prayer ministry. That's, that's not at all what I'm talking about. Right? But like when we see the sin in a person's life, if we're not overwhelmed and overly impressed by the sin, but we still see the image of God in people, we'll be able to bring people out of that sin rather than just making them feel condemned and leaving them in that sin. So this honor thing, it's not like we go lightweight and we just pretend like nothing else exists. It's like if somebody comes into our midst and they stand up here and they say something heretical, that's not good. Like that's not what I'm going for from this pulpit, right? But how bad does it need to be in order for us to just like completely dismiss the person? There is a level. But I would say we get there way too fast. And so let's just be a community where it's like we invite in outside speakers and we're like sucking the greatness out of them. And then like we go to small group and we're like, wow, sucking the greatness out of each other. And it's like the world is this like wonderland where all of a sudden you don't have to feel like it's a famine where you need to bump into Bill Johnson in order to get like some spiritual goodness. Right? It's a smorgasbord. It's everywhere. There's greatness everywhere. Like, God, give me eyes. Give me humility. Give me honor to be able to feast of all of the gifts that you've given to the body of Christ right here around me. And let's try our best not to be the ones where it's like, why don't you respect the person from your hometown? It's because you know their mess. Right? It's because you know, that's Billy. That's who grew up next to me. Right? Like, he's not special. He's just like everybody else. Right? Like, that's what happens. Familiarity breeds this thing where it's like a lack of honor somehow comes with familiarity. And so that's the stuff we need to resist as a community. That's the stuff we need to resist, as a, whether it's an outside speaker who says something offensive or whether it's just us meeting with one another and it's like, you know? No, I didn't say anything important there. <laughs> All right, let's have the worship team come up. Yeah, Suki's going to close us up here. Hello? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So it was kind of funny because um, in intercession this morning, I, I usually, so we have this group that prays for church every, every Sunday morning, and we all just kind of go around, we checklist, and we say, oh, so what do you feel like God's saying this week? And like five or six different people were like, man, this is, I've been realizing this week I was a lot, it was a lot easier for me to be offended, or I've been realizing I was getting irritated with people a lot quicker. And I think um, this is totally just on God's heart right now. One of the things is um, two, two things. I think the the closer we get to people, the the more the, you see um, their their mess, right? Like there's this 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 thing where usually you gravitate towards someone because you like them, and everything is really great for if you hang out with them for I don't know. Let's just say arbitrarily two or three months. You hang out with them every day, and you're like, man, this person's so cool. And then all of a sudden, you're like, 
but then they make kind of weird jokes. And then you find out they have these really weird habits. And then you're like, man, they're really messy. And then you find out, man, they're really flaky. They don't always come on time. They're late all the time, right? Arr, those right? And then you're like, man, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, you kind of just don't really feel like maybe they're as great as they were two, three months ago. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a lot harder to receive from them. And all of a sudden, now you wonder where their walk with the Lord is. And it, it, that process just happens over time. And I think it's totally what Ryan was talking about. And I think in this next, and I think in the, as one of the things that we believe um, God's leading us into in this next year is greater intimacy with the Lord and greater intimacy with each other. And that sounds good, but let me tell you what that means. <laughs> Intimacy means you see. <laughs> and that also requires a greater level of grace. Intimacy sounds great, but as a pastor, let me tell you what that means for me. <laughs> that means I'm really having a really hard time with this other person, and that means I get to say, well, you get to go and talk to that other person about why you have this problem with this other person. It means a lot of those. That's intimacy. Welcome. Okay. <laughs> and that is also what that means with Jesus. <laughs> that means, oh my gosh, now all of a sudden I realize I was trying to move forward and closer to God in intimacy. And then he wraps up his really nice, lovely intimacy box in this thing that really kind of grates on my nerves. This speaker that makes jokes about whatever that I don't like jokes about. And this other thing, and they do these things, and if you're in the charismatic world for very long, they haba shaba too much, or haba shaba not enough, and, you know, and you're just like, whoa, what the heck, you know? There's this like fine line of how much weirdness we can take that is acceptable. And I don't know what that line is because that line is so different for all of us. But there is that, and I think that when God wants to start coming and when we want intimacy and we want God to come as he is, all of a sudden it's really not then about our comfort. He's just going to come the way he comes, and he's like, if you want more of me, I'm going to come the way that I'm going to come, and some of that is going to rub against some of you. And I'm just throwing it out there that that might happen. And so this word is really timely. So that's going to happen with each other. That might happen with the Lord. Get prepared. Get good at forgiving each other. And get good at, I know it sounds kind of heretical, but working out your issues with the Lord if that requires forgiveness as well. So um, that's on the horizon, guys. But that's good news because... If you've ever had a really intimate relationship with someone, that means you've had to have a couple of talks about why things didn't always, weren't always great. And I think that when you get through those conversations, you're always closer. And that's how um, growth can happen. Let's receive her in the name of a righteous woman. All right, you guys ready? Oh yeah. Your stand, ma'am. Thank you. One of the things that struck me when Suki was saying that at the end was, you know, there's a cool part about this. The reward part is on the other end of each of these statements. It's like, 
I want to hear crazy from the voice of the Lord. Well, okay, then good, get, get good at honoring the prophets. I want to walk in righteousness. Awesome. We'll get good at honoring righteous people and being hospitable to them. I want to be whatever it is, right? Like there's this thing where it's, it's kind of a crazy statement, like receive a prophet in the name of a prophet and receive the reward. It's like, oh, I now know how to receive the reward of a prophet. This is a roadmap at the other end of it too. And so this thing, I just want to put it out there as kind of the bounty. It's like, let's get great at humility. Let's get great at honor because the Lord has given us a roadmap and like keys to the kingdom. It's like, hey, you want to do things my way? Here's how you do things my way. Crazy hospitable, crazy honoring, crazy receptive of, of people, etc. Yeah. The one last thing I wanted to say is honor doesn't mean you have to take care of everything. I think the reason why we kind of sometimes are afraid to honor or to take anything, we think that if we take a little bit, it means we have to take it all. I don't think that that's true. No one's saying throw everything out the window, so that's it.